The Theonauts, episode 106. The one wherewith I speaketh in the king's English, and David goeth, I understand thee not. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo scribes out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts! <laughs> How was that? You just threw me a curveball. That was awesome, man. Whoa. That was the pretty Theonauts. good. The Theonauts! Gee, I wonder whose voice that is, by the way. That's great. That's really that awesome. Good. Yeah, it's a great new stinger. Excellent. So we don't have to say that anymore. We can just hit that button. You can, but it is kind of fun to say yeah. it with them. Yeah, it is. Oh, my goodness. So how are you doing, David? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Good. Yeah. We, got, we haven't been in the studio in a couple uh, weeks. Yeah, it's true. We did, uh, well... You, You've been kind of really busy yeah, getting ready for school and all. But I'm set, I think. I'm ready Good. to go. I'm excited about this new year. Yeah. Teaching fifth, sixth, and eighth graders. Teaching them some learning. Yeah, learning them something. About the king's English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about the the, uh, the 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 original English, right? That's right. The inspired English? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I give them books. Uh, Truly inspired books. Exactly. Original manuscripts from Shakespeare. And they have to, <laughs> they have to write. Uh, summaries. It's great. It Fifth works graders, wonderful. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, they're brilliant. I'm joking. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, it's good. It's great. How about you? What what you've been up to? Oh, dude, it's been so busy at work. It's like nuts. So yeah, I'm trying to. Um, I hired a programmer. Uh huh. Lost programmer. Uh huh. Trying to get her back. Well, I imagine <laughs> working with you has just got to be tough. Yeah, it's man. horrible, man. Yeah. I'm like this crazy taskmaster. You know, yeah, I cracked the whip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can't see you as ever cracking the whip. It's more like, eh, okay. Yeah, whatever. It's right. <laughs> funny. But yeah, everything's going good. I get to to visit with my grandchildren today. Yeah, they came down. Yesterday. That, awesome. that was really uh, cool. Shepard's been here for five months? Yes. Oh my goodness. He is a, He's growing both like... Mentally uh-huh. and physically. So, I mean, he's like, uh, there was all these concerns about how he was going to be able to adopt, you know, no pun intended, to right. the, to the culture. Or adapt, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's probably a better word. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and come from, from being like in the, this place where he's got, you know, caretakers versus having a family. Right. And um, he is just... Continued to blow everybody away. That's I awesome. mean, he, he has his moments. He still has his issues, and you know he's got anger issues, and he's got um, um, he acts out and things of that nature, sure. which is to be expected. Right. What is he? He's two. Not quite two. Not quite two. Yeah. I mean, terrible twos, man. Yeah. He's he's gonna be two next month. So there you go. <clears throat> yeah. So he's just now. Um, you know, he's still in that developmental phase, which is awesome. Right. Because Mandy and Steven get a, a, a good, you know, 
foot in on that developmental stage. Sure. But it's still really hard, you know, coming from sure. when all you've known for a year and a half has been a lot different. Right. How's he adapting <clears throat> to the language? Oh, that's not really hadn't been too big of a deal. Wow. Because, you know, he wasn't speaking yet anyway. Okay. Um, and he still responds to, like, Ethiopian words but that he would hear, you know, on right. a regular basis. And, like, uh, his his given name was Nathalem, uh, Nathalem, which means uh, shepherd in Ethiopian, which oh, is so wow. cool. And that Mandy and Stephen didn't know that. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. They, they picked the name Shepherd. <laughs> See, that's a God thing. Him. That's yes. just another picture of how God, you know, he directs And that. then found that's out amazing. that his given name means wow. Shepherd. That's, that's, that blows me away. And to top it off, the, the name of the orphanage, or not orphanage, the placement agency that they went through uh-huh. was something, it had shepherd in the name wow. as well. So Like good shepherd. She, yeah, something. she just keeps finding these shepherd references in dealing with him. Maybe he'll become a pastor. Maybe. I mean, that may be what's going on here. I don't know. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, wow. We'll definitely uh, keep Shepard in, in prayers that he grows and does good. How's Jesse doing with him? He's doing really, really good. Yeah. Um, Jesse is, man, he's a smart cookie. Yeah. Like, I mean, he is talking up a, a firestorm right now. And, of course, he's two and a half, a little over two and a half. Sure. And so he's he's just, you know, going to town on the on the babble. Right. And uh, he says the funniest things at this, you know, because his little mind is is, <laughs> is working. Yeah. And yet he just says, I, I'm going to start just, we, M- Melanie and I were saying, you know, we could have done this with our kids too, because they all go through this stuff. Sure. But, but you know, you want to like write down everything they say. Right. Like, wow, that was so cute. I need to write that down. Right. You know, like today, uh, Jesse got through eating and his hands were all dirty. And uh, he was just standing there waiting on his mom to get a wash rag to wash his hands. Uh-huh. And he looked up at Steven and he goes... Can I wipe my hands on the chair? <laughs> <laughs> oh he's like, goodness. no, you can wait. <laughs> yeah. Hold off there, buddy. Yeah. And then Melanie's talking to Mandy on the phone the other day, and all of a sudden Mandy's like, hold on a second. No, cutting your own fingernails would be a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah. kid, he's I have, great. I have, uh, I am so proud of my daughter. She's like, Dealing with both these kids around the same age that they are and Oof. just bouncing off the walls. I bet. It's like, wow. She's, she's going to look back on this time. She's being with deer fondness. Tried. Yeah. But it's a, but it's a good thing. It's right. a good trial for her. That's awesome. So, but anyway. Wow. So everything's going great. Good. You want to jump into it? Yes, let's do that. So we've covered translations before in great detail, actually, yes. a couple times. But today we want to focus on one thing that's been a big controversy in the church mm-hmm. um, ever, basically ever since the modern translations came out. Yes. And it's the idea of King James only. Yes. Um, I have a great anecdotal story. I probably told it before, and I'll tell it again. I used to work at a Christian bookstore. Yeah. And uh, so... I would go back, and part of my job was rearranging the Bibles, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go back and get them organized and everything. And it was crazy. Number one, the Bible department was the most stolen out of. 
out of <laughs> all the rest of our books. <laughs> nice. We had the most inventory missing from the Bible department, which okay, steal our Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Just take it. But that's that's that was my thing. Imagine not that my testimony. My first Bible, I stole it. Right, exactly. That'd be awesome. Before I became <laughs> Christian. I stole my first Bible and then I read it and repented and went gave gave money back. <laughs> but uh, the other thing is, is it was the most unorganized section. It was just all over the place. And mm-hmm. we were a Christian bookstore that also had we were Catholic and uh, Protestant. So we had Catholic Bibles with the Apocrypha, and so you really had to organize this thing in order to make sure that somebody didn't walk out of there with you know yeah with a Bible that was going to offend them exactly. So. <laughs> right. Anyways, I'd go through these things, and then I start noticing cards, and they'd be placed in the Bibles, and the cards would be like uh, little um, tracks, you know, like yeah, yeah. the old school chick track. tracks, chick tracks, yeah. Because yeah. chick is, uh, by the way, a huge King James only proponent, right? Yeah, and they would be about the King James only versus all the other ones, and you wouldn't find them in the King James version Bibles, right? You'd find them in all the other versions. So one day I go back there, you had to go I, clean out all the cards, yeah, I'd have to all go the clean them out. One day I went back there and I found the guy that was doing that. He was, I was watching him do it. I'm like, sir, you can't leave your literature in our Bibles. And he's like, well, they need to know. And so I brought him to the front and had him give me this whole spiel. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. And back then, I really just I didn't understand enough of the controversy. All I knew was it sounded like a whole bunch of hobunkum to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't care about it because, you know, I was raised in the church. And I grew up reading all different sorts of Bibles. And my dad was pretty heavily on King James or New King. That was his, right, right. his preference. And... But growing up in the denomination I grew up in, we didn't care. So I let him do a spiel, and then I said, I understand your position, but this isn't the place for that position, so you need to, you know, either respect our property or or leave. Right. You know, and that was the last time I ever saw the guy. But it was just amazing to me how serious Mm -hmm. this This man took this to heart. Yeah, this is a, a very serious argumentative issue. Um, because the people that that hold very strongly to a King James only view uh, do so that they believe that they're talking about the Word of God and the only Word of God, and right. that you know everything else is is uh, is a fake or it is uh, directly inspired by Satan yeah. to lead people astray. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of thoughts on this. So, um, I guess first off, before we get too far into the whole argument. I want to make sure we we make our position plain, you know, yes. on this. In in that um, we're we're going to be trying to we're going to be debunking a lot of the arguments that are made for uh, this King James King James being the only inspired Bible. However, don't take that to mean that we dislike the King James right. or that we don't think the King James is a good translation. Or I mean, I just like you. I was raised with the King James, and in uh, our group was um, primarily King James, but I didn't ever really hear a lot of like hardcore KJV only rhetoric. Right. It was just the one. It was just the one we used primarily. Sure. And in fact, I've heard more people argue against the newer translations now. You know, in in our group, sure. than I did growing up, and so, but you know, I was raised on the King James. I've memorized a lot of the King James passages. Yeah, most of my memory verses come either out of King James or New King James. That that's just growing up. That's what we did. Yeah, and so 
it's not that I mean I in fact I love the King James. I love the old archaic uh, English, the ancient English language right. that's used. And um, I'm, I'll actually probably be making some, uh, you know, some of the King James arguments. I'll be like, okay, I'm not opposed to ye is better than you because I think it is. Yeah. But you also have this other thing that ha- that, that that comes into play, dealing with uh, understandability and and of the modern reader and right. and this sort of thing. So there's pros and cons of the whole thing. But so what what we really we really don't want to say, okay, don't use the King James. That's not what we're no doing. In fact at, it's an excellent excellent all. translation. If that's your favorite, use it. That's yeah. great. Wonderful. Uh, and so that's not what this is about. This is about uh uh, not scaring people right. and and trying to tell people that that newer translations are the work of could it the be devil Satan or that they're <laughs> intentional works to try and draw people from the truth right uh, there's uh, I think that's kind of where we want to um, where we kind of want draw to look the line at. yeah that's so good. let's let's go ahead and dive in I want to present basically what King James only usually Means. what the, what their arguments okay. Pretty much are cool. Um, first off, it's the idea that there are no errors or problems in the King James translation. That the King James translation um, is inerrant in and of itself. Uh, they also hold to the idea that there are no internal errors or problems in the text of the King James. They also hold to the idea that any changes of words of the King James constitutes changing the very word of God, and thus no English translations are, well, this is a parenthetical thought, that would make all English translations, uh, that no other English translations are the word of God. Right. Um, God promised to preserve the scriptures word for word throughout the centuries, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That's one of the things that they hold to, okay. is that the King James Version is the fulfilling of God's promise to preserve right. the Word of God. It was originally translated from, or written from the, the authors inspired, and then translated inspired. Right. Okay, and then the idea that the King James Version translators were divinely guided, and thus the words that they used were given to them by the Holy Spirit to be implemented without any alternatives. So that's primarily what King James only uh uh, people will will argue. So, um, one of the things that I want to kind of look at is um, kind of a little bit of background about translation, even though we've covered it before, because um, it helps. Part of, part of I think the problem here is is not people don't understand the process, right? And they don't understand language translation in general. Um, the ancient Greek and the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Aramaic. Um, are completely different structures than our Latin-based English language. Right. So, uh, so it, it, you you hear people say, "Well, this is a word-for-word translation." You know, well, it, there's an attempt by the translators to translate as many of the words possible, word for word. Uh, but if you did that, if you've ever read a um, interlinear right translation. You get an idea of what a true word for word translation looks like. Right. Uh, there are untranslated words. Surprise, surprise. Um, 
there are um, the the sentences make no sense whatsoever because the verbs are in the wrong place and they're written backwards right. because those languages all wrote from right to left and the English language writes from left to right. And um, so there is no such thing as a perfect translation right? because you just, you literally cannot do it. That's right. Be- because of the way languages are just different. You hear the term lost in translation. That's a real thing. There are thoughts that are lost in translation no matter who's translating it. Yeah. And so, um, so first off, the 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 thing that we have to remember when we deal with this King James only uh, argument is that the King James translation was translated in 1611. Originally, Ori- yeah. that's the now. But before that, so what, what did we have before that? Well, we had uh, the Hebrew la- the Hebrew um, translations or the Hebrew language writings uh, were transcribed over and over and copies upon copies were made dating all the way back, you know, 4,000 years ago. Right. Um, and they have, you know, gradually um, been copied and, and et cetera. And recopied and recopied. And recopied. Mm-hmm. In 900 AD, a group of, of, of Jews uh, living in and around Galilee called the Masoretes, they compiled all the Hebrew writings and created one single right. out of the... So what they basically did was they took the average of all of them they had. So they tried to get the most precise right. uh, version that they could. And they made their own version based and, off of <clears throat> based off of the... Yeah, the odds of the... Um, they did something called... Right. Um, um, well, they did something w- with the verbs. I mean the uh, vowels, because there's no vowels in the original language. Right. Vowels are inferred. And so a lot of the Hebrew text is preserved by telling it, by reading it, right. by it's sharing tradition. it. Right. And so the fear here was that in 900 AD, the Hebrew, lose the oral Hebrew language was going the way of the dinosaur. Right. And so they were like, well, we want to preserve what the meanings of these words were. Um <clears throat> One of them we'll get to here in a little bit is, like, for example, in the original Hebrew, the name Joshua yes, and the name Jesus, Yeshua, those are the same Hebrew words. They're spelled exactly the same. Right. There's no difference. The only difference is how you say it. Say it. Pronunciation. And so what the Masoretes would do is they would put dot notation around the... The Hebrew word, right, to so, indicate vowel or inflection, vowel right. inflection. So, like for example, I'm looking at your arm right yes, now. Yes, I have dot inflections. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have that uh, Masoretic, the Masoretic, yep, uh, language tattooed there on your arm, right? Because the little dots underneath are telling you what verbs or what vowels right. to use in the in the in the word. Yeah. So they modernized the text, basically, mm-hmm. is how they did it, so that they could write it down. It would be preserved instead right. of. Having to worry about people saying the words wrong, basically. Yeah. And so this was, it was noble, okay? But this is in 900 AD. So you had, you know, what, 700 years later before the King James came, came along. Right. And the King James is translated specifically from the Masoretic text. Right. Like they, they went to no other source. Yeah. They used that Masoretic text, which is solid. I mean, it's a, it was a it's good a choice. It's a great choice, yeah. However, there, it wasn't the only source available. Another source that could have been used but was not 
was the um, was the the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint is a Greek translation, right? Of the Old Testament, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and that dates back before the days of Christ, even. Right. And uh, the Septuagint. In fact, the Septuagint is what they would have been using in Jesus's day. Correct, because they were they were Greek speaking people. Right. And so, uh, well, Greek writing people and right. reading that was the uh, written language. The, the written time. language that was like the legal language. Yeah. And so they would have been using the Septuagint primarily as their uh, as their text. So once again, they're dealing with a translation. And when you have things like Jesus, for example, quoting, uh, okay, in Luke 4, we talked about that um, in one of the recent episodes where Jesus comes before the synagogue right. and he, he takes the book of Isaiah and he reads... Uh, chapter 11? Yes. I am... No, it's uh, Luke... I'm sorry. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2? Isaiah 62. 62, that's right. One of those. Where he, I just preached or on 60, that. 61 or 62. But anyway, it basically says, this is what I'm appointed, anointed to do. Right. To, um, now, if you go back and you read the King James Version of the passage Jesus is quoting, and then you read what Jesus read, because it says he read it. It wasn't paraphrasing. He was reading it. And even in the King James itself, from Jesus, the words don't match identically. Right. And part of that is because the King James translators translated Isaiah from the Masoretic text, and they translated uh, Luke 4 from the... Because uh, the, the Luke is not in the Masoretic text. Right. They translated that from Erasmus's uh, Greek New Testament, uh, which would have been quoting Jesus, probably reading from the Septuagint. So even Jesus himself is not bickering about making sure we're using the Masoretic text. Well, the Masoretic text didn't exist at the time of Jesus. Right. <laughs> so so anyway, there's just a lot of holes here to say that, well, the wording, word for word, must be completely preserved and precise in order to convey the thought. Right. And because, uh, I mean, Jesus wasn't even holding that. He was reading the text that was in his hand at the synagogue at the time. Exactly. Um so anyway, so you had the Septuagint that they could have used, and in addition to that, they could have used the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate was the Latin version of the Bible that contained both the Old and the New Testaments, right. translated in 400 A.D. by Jerome. Now, it wouldn't have contained the Masoretic text either. Uh, you can also thank Jerome for throwing the Apocrypha in there. Right. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I thought it was funny you were reading there, talking about how it was a pagan... Uh, edition or whatever. Yeah, but anyway, exactly. it was in there all the way back at 400 AD. Right. Um, not that it's scripture, but it was included by people exactly. during that time. Right? So anyway, that's by 1611, you had a bunch of options here. Uh, you also had nine English translations already. Right. I mean, Wycliffe started this in the 1300s and, and uh, Tyndale and... Um, the uh, John Rogers uh, translating the Matthews Bible and Miles Coverdale and all these guys. See, and they fail to, King James only people, so I've been researching sites, King James only people fail to uh, acknowledge that there were at least 13 other, you know, mm-hmm. English versions before the King James came out. Right, well, even John Calvin and company had moved up to Geneva, and in 1599, they translated the Geneva 
translation, which by and far was the most popular translation that came to America when the Puritans came over here. Yeah, it was the the Geneva Bible. The Puritans are carrying the Geneva Bible with them. Exactly, not the King James. Right. And it was, that was the most, if you want to go into Reformation talk, that was the most Reformed translation. That was the one used most widely by the Reformed Church. Okay. So, um, and it the reason I say that is because King James only people herald that the King James was the you know was born out of the Reformation, which it was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the most popular during the Reformation. It was actually a um, it was a compromise, compromise. between the reformers exactly. that were because at the time of Tyndale, it was considered heresy to translate the Bible into English. Right. Uh, it was considered Latin was considered the official language of the Bible, and that was the language you had to use to read the Bible. Um, so, I guess part of why we're going through the history a little bit here of of this is to show you that there, you know, what existed prior to the King James, right, is because um, we have to 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 get past the the idea or come to the understanding that. If God's promise was fulfilled in 1611, hmm. when He uh, promised to um, to preserve His word, right? Then what about all the people who lived between the time of Jesus and 1611? Were they just out of luck? <laughs> I mean, because I mean, you, you you could argue that the Latin Vulgate was the best preservation of the Bible because it was written in a language that would never change. Right, uh, and that happened in, and that was why it was translated into Latin in 400 AD. Same reason the Masoretes wanted to do what they did in the in the Hebrew language. Right, uh, the church wanted to preserve the language of the text without any changes to the modern language, so they translated it into Latin because they knew that the Latin language would never change. Right, and uh, so anyway, let's. Um, I want to look at this passage. Um, in Psalms 12, verses 6 through 7, this is, um, this is the passage that is used to uh, promote um, this idea that the text was preserved. Uh, let me make sure I'm in the right one here. Okay, so in the King James Version, and we'll be reading quite a bit in the King James, um, in verse 6 it says, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay, so uh, King James Only Advocates will use this passage to say, okay, so this proves that he had to divinely get involved and seal this in, the, in, in, um, in this 1611 translation. Right. But part of the problem here is that <clears throat> We're very nearsighted when it comes to understanding this text. This text was written in the days of David, right? Right, and which was, you know, years like what seven hundred years or five hundred years before Jesus. Oh yeah. So, okay, what in the uh, what? What about the gap? Why wait until sixteen eleven to preserve the word? Right. And now it's only been a little over four hundred years. Right. Since that happened. So we're looking at this 400-year gap going, there's no way God would let the King James be the most popular translation over the past 400 years if it wasn't divinely inspired. Yeah. But the Catholics can say the same thing about 
the Latin Vulgate, right. which was the only Bible for a thousand years. Right. And then what about before that? The uh, so, it, and here's the biggest thing: we just read that verse completely out of context. Yeah. <laughs> we picked we picked out two verses out of Psalms and read them out of context. All I want to do is include verse five, and let's see if we don't hear something a little different. Okay. In Psalms 12, verse 5 says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, saith the Lord, and I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Okay, so what is this passage about? It's about God saying he will protect Protect the poor from those who puff up against him. And then verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure and silver, tried in furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay, so in the... Who's the them? Right. That's the question. Is he talking... Not the words of the Lord. If you go back and you actually read it in context... He's talking about the people. The people. Thou shalt preserve the people. Right. So the passage, what is really saying is that the... This words of the Lord are pure part is basically saying, you said you would protect these people and we believe you because your word is pure and silver tried in a furnace. And so we know you will protect them and preserve them. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, uh, it's tearing the Bible apart. We can thank the verses, by the way, for that. Yes, that's part of the part of the issue here. And that goes back to... um, um, that dude. Yeah, that dude. But anyway, a lot of the arguments that are made are always having to do with why they take this verse. Why is that verse gone? You know, a, a, a one popular one is um, uh, Acts 8 and I believe 37 or 38, where it's Ethiopian eunuch. And oh, yeah. um, the Ethiopian is having this conversation with Philip. And the Ethiopian says, look, here's water, what hindereth me to be baptized? And then the next verse says, if thou believest, thou mayest. Right. And so and it says, and so they went down into the water, and he was baptized. Well, that part about if you believe, you may, is missing from most modern translations. Right. And, the, and so here's the problem. People are using the King James as the standard instead of using something older than the King James. As the standard. Right. Um, now, obviously, that verse is there in the mass, in not the Masoretic, the, um, the, the majority text. The, the Recepticus? Yes. Textus Receptus. Which we haven't. Or Receptus, sorry. Which, which we I always say Recepticus. For some which reason. we haven't really talked about yet, but that's no. Erasmus's work. Right. He did the same thing the Masoretes did. He took 5,000. Greek manuscripts that that kind of agreed, and he made one Greek translation out of them, right. compiled them, and that became the basis for actually all the ancient English languages, right. English translations. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, that's... So... And it's not, that's not bad work, by the way. That's no, a great way and, to do a no, translation. And, 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 and yeah, going back to this, I have no problem with those, there's 5,000 manuscripts that include this verse. And here's a... Here's a little interesting thing that I pull from that. Uh, we've said before on Theonauts a million times what, what translation's the best, and the answer is all of them. Yes. The, the same idea was applied to these people to, who right. wrote the Texas, uh, Texas, te- 
Texas Textus Receptus. Yes. <laughs> Receptus. A guy by the name of Erasmus. Erasmus. Was the one who- yeah, Erasmus. He compiled all the different texts mm-hmm. in order to come up with his. Yes. So, and and there's all kinds of arguments that we don't want to really get into about how genuine that was and how I've heard the guy was under a gun. He had uh, he had a time frame to do it in. It was unreasonable and et cetera, et cetera. And he was politically forced to add certain things in there that weren't that he didn't find. Like he found it in one manuscript out of the fifth out of the five thousand. But because it was being he was receiving pressure from the authorities that were. Like Constantine? Yeah. Well, it would it would have been uh, who was it that was uh, during this time frame? It would have it would have been the kings, um, the the kings and the bishops and that. Are you talking about Jerome? No, no, Erasmus. Oh, Ar- Erasmus I'm sorry. compiled this in I believe the 1500s. Okay. He was he was a contemporary with Tyndale and really I didn't know that. Guys. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I yeah I did know that. I was just going on the so he's he so he's like really. Um, the arguments are that he was under a lot of pressure politically, and he, he, you can even read writings like uh, one of the verses that's missing from a lot of the modern translations is First John five and eight, I believe it's I believe it's eight uh, or maybe seven, where it actually mentions the Trinity in right t- in in the text. It says that these three agree in heaven: the Father, Father the Word, Lord, and the Spirit. Spirit yep. And uh, that text is not found in hardly any of the manuscripts. Right, like he kind of had to pigeonhole that one in for political reasons because the Catholic for Church, the people who are big on the Trinity, right? The Catholic <laughs> Church wanted the Trinity mentioned, right? And so, but the thing is, you can't you can't force it in there because even the people saying it shouldn't be there, they're not saying the Trinity doesn't exist. They're not saying that that we need to, to denounce the Trinity. They're it's just, like, let's try to be honest about what the text actually said. Exactly. That some overzealous guy might have included this at some point, but let's look at the bulk of the text and see, well, it's really not in these other right. texts. Um, there, you know, there's, a, there's another thing uh, that happened during all this time. Um, going, let's go back to the Masoretes. When the Masoretes compiled their stuff, there was a lot of times whenever they were writing something, they were like, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. We really need to clarify this in the margin notes. Yeah, so they and put in margin s- notes. And so they would write these margin notes, and, sure. and they had a term for this. Uh, it was called the kera. And that the kera is what we wrote in the margin. And then there was this word, kativ. Kativ meant the word that we're expounding upon, the actual word in the text. So you had the kera and the kativ, and they would tie together. Right. Here's the wacky thing. The King James translators, when when going through the Masoretic text, actually put words in the Kara into the text. Wow. So now this is not, it never found in a manuscript. Right. But because the Masoretes put it in the margin saying it should be there, the King James people, translators, put it in there. Yeah. So how can that be the word preserved? Correct, and and that's what I want to get at is there's a lot of places where a, a lot of new translations will say uh, in their sidebar comments or in the footnotes or whatever some of the older translations or uh, manuscripts don't mention or mention this or don't mention that. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things that are put in the sidebar context, but the King James people go, well, yeah, but it's not in the actual text, and it needs to be, and it's well, a lot. <laughs> 
why it's it's almost hip- hypocritical because you're you're saying you can't use a margin right. to expound on things, whereas the Masoretic you're translating from margins. Yes, they actually translated <laughs> some of the King James from the margin yeah. and not from the actual text itself. Right. Um, so, but let's. I want to look at a couple of 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 other examples that are in the scriptures that aren't always pulled out. One of them is 2 Samuel uh, 22 and verse uh, 19. So in the the King James, it says, And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. Now this is years and years and years after David slew Goliath. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says there was another battle in Gob where the Philistines uh, with the Philistines where Elhanan the son of Jeroagim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Okay, now if you go to, uh, I believe it's Second Chronicles, uh, you'll get the exact same account. Right, and it says the same thing: Elhanan slew the brother of Goliath. The problem here is that if you go to the original Hebrew, the brother of is nowhere in the text. It says Goliath. It just says that Elhanan, uh, the son of, of Jeragarim or whatever his name is, a Bethlehemite slew Goliath, the Gittite. And so... The King James translators are going. Oh, we can't do that. That's a oops. Yeah, that's a that's an <laughs> error in in the Bible. So we have to correct that. Right. And so if you go to um, like the ESV and look at the exact same right. uh, text, which is a very word for word yes translation, by the way, just like the it King says, James. Elhanan, the son of Jeraogram, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite. Now, here's what King James-only people will do with this text. They'll go, see right there? That's obviously... We know David killed Goliath, so the ESV is wrong, wrong yeah. and the King James is right. Well, no, the King James might be right historically, but it's because they corrected the right. text they were translating from. They weren't true to the, the actual text. text of what it said. Right. Now, there's all kinds of arguments as to what of how that text should read. Was it an error by the scribe? Probably unlikely. But was it that by killing the brother of Goliath, you're killing his lineage? And the last of Goliath is over with now. We don't have to deal with this anymore because there was five brothers um, of Goliath and they were all, or five total. There was four brothers of Goliath and all five of them were killed um, after Goliath's death, right. all seeking revenge. Right. So if, if, if Elanon was the last one, in a way, the writer could have been saying, so ends the lineage of Goliath, right. the Gittite. You know, this is like, he's killed it it's finally. It's done, yeah. And that could have been what it's been saying. But all that's peripheral to what we're saying. Well, all we're really saying is, if you're going to be true to the original text, you need to be true to the original text. Right. And the King James, without a doubt, added the brother of, into the text in order to make it make more sense. Right. And, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because they are getting it from Chronicles. But I guess what I'm saying is if you're a King James only, your your whole argument rests on the fact that this is the true literal literal translation of the Word of God and there's absolutely no errors in it. It's inspired completely. 
Um, there, here, oh, here's another one. Uh, in 2 Samuel 24, verse 13, uh, in almost every translation, we have a problem here. And the, tra- and the King James translators did what we just said they didn't do here. Right. They stuck to the original text, and there, but there is somewhat of an issue here. In 2 Samuel 24 and 13, uh, let me oh, I keep jumping back. Let me jump back to uh, my King James. Okay, 2 Samuel 2, uh, 24, I'm sorry, 13. So Gad, uh, so Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land, or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee, or that there will be three days pestilence in the land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Okay, so if we if you don't know the story of what's going on here, David goofed up. He was told not to take a, a census, and um, he did it anyway. Right. And he was given a choice of punishments. Right. Okay, one of those choices is uh, that there should be seven years of famine in the land. Right. But if we jump over to to First Chronicles twenty one and twelve, which remember uh, Samuel and Chronicles are all you know kind of parallel, right? The same story. Uh, it says there in First Chronicles twenty one and twelve in the King James, either three years famine or three months to be destroyed before the foe, uh, while the sword of thine enemies overtake, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So the choice is different in these two accounts. Right. There's three years of famine. Or seven, seven years, years of famine. Now, the contradiction, uh, if you want to use that term, is in the King James. Right. But it's also in almost every other translation, right. the ESV, etc. Uh, some new translations, however, can uh, put uh, uh, three in every place. And the reason why is because instead of just sticking to the Masoretic text, some of the newer translations take in the account of the Septuagint, because in the Septuagint there is no uh, contradiction. Yeah, both both of those texts say three, three. Mm-hmm. and so uh. some of the newer translations take that into account and say, okay, well, a scribe must have messed up on his numbers at some point, right? And wrote seven when he meant three, right? Uh, so, oh man, it's just and, I, and I'm finding out they didn't even, I mean, use. Use you know the text they were using literally. Um, for example, uh, Acts nineteen twenty, uh, Acts nineteen thirty seven, the robbers of churches mm-hmm. actually reads in the original text from the Texas uh, Receptus mm-hmm. says the rob- robbers of temples, which is a difference. Uh, Lucifer is yes. <laughs> introduced in Isaiah fourteen twelve. Uh, where it's supposed to be Odaystar, and it actually refers to the king of Babylon, mm-hmm. but they made Lucifer, right? Yeah. Easter in Acts 12.4, right? Which was actually Passover, and Easter is a compromise for the Catholic Church, right? <laughs> right. Uh, another compromise for the tra- Catholic Church, baptism, mm-hmm. uh, which is a transliterated word from baptizo. Uh, which simply means to immerse. To immerse. Mm-hmm. Um and they didn't. They didn't want to say immersion. They didn't want to use the word immersion. <laughs> they could have translated right. it to because immersion the, because the authorities of the day were sprinkling people. Yeah, they were sprinkling people. <laughs> they also used dynamic dynamic equivalents or like quips of the day. Go, God save the king in First Samuel ten mm-hmm. twenty four, which was not 
what it was, what was written, "May the king live." Right. That's what, oh, what uh, even in uh, Acts or sorry, Romans six, where God forbid, sh- yeah, shall we? Right. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God Certainly forbid. Not. Yeah. Uh, God, the word God is not in the original text. That's right. Yeah, they even get senses wrong. Leviticus six twenty one, sweet savor was actually soothing aroma, so they changed smell to taste. <laughs> right. Yes. These different things. Um, so the, you know there are in in the King James there are errors. Yes, and and we're not doing this to 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 denounce the King James in any way. That's not the There goal. are errors in every of them. translation. That's right. Because there are translators involved. Yes. And that's, Human what, that's what we're trying to, 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 to make this uh, about, is it's not about the King James being a bad translation. Right. I don't necessarily think the King James is a bad translation. I just don't think it's the only, only. translation. Um, so uh, w- one more thing that I had on my list here, uh, goes back to something I said before about Jesus and Joshua having the exact same name, um, at least whenever it's written. If we go to to Acts seven, verse forty five, uh, we have here uh, Stephen preaching about what had happened before. Right, he's preaching. Right, he he's preaching about the 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 Israel the Israel past. Okay, and he says, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Now, wait a minute, what? Jesus was, what what do you mean? He brought G, Joshua. Yep. The word is Joshua. Yep. Stephen was talking about Joshua. That's right. But the translators missed that. And they, and they put Jesus. Jesus in there instead. And the same thing happens in uh, Hebrews 4, <laughs> verse 8. For it says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. It's talking about Joshua. This is referring to uh, coming into the land of Canaan. Right. And if Joshua had given them rest then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day referring to Jesus. Right. So this is just a, it's just a mistake. I'm just saying that that it's this is not an infallible translation. Right. And that's the only point that we wanted to make in going through all this. Um, there are other places as well where to be honest with you words are absolutely removed. Right. From the original text. Uh, Daniel 3 is one of them. There's a word there that's translated uh, where uh, the NET, for example, translates, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about to go into the fiery furnace, and they said, if our God exists, he will save us. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of, that's what they say. But the word exist is not translated in the King James. It says, if so, I, th- I can't remember in the, in the actual King James, it says, uh, hang on. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. And if you actually have a Strong's number reference, you will not find that word exists in there. Right. Well, technically you can find it. They moved it over to the word able <laughs> and, cha- and translated it is. Okay, well, is doesn't need to be translated because able is the verb that it's talking about and is is inferred in the original Hebrew right. or, sorry, Aramaic that this was translated from. So, okay, so... 
enough with the examples. All we wanted to really do is show that this is not an infallible translation. Exactly. That there are problems in it. And the more that we can recognize that the, that the original autographs, not even the manuscripts, but the original autographs were inspired. Right. And we believe that. But there are going to be mistakes made that we have to have a grace about. And that's why it's valuable to have a lot of them. Right. That's why it's valuable to have a bunch of translations because now you can read this one and understand, well, that translator, he was a little off. And then you like, you know, <laughs> the message or whatever. You can read that and go, I don't know where you were coming from, why you... you Come know. on, James. <laughs> yeah. What's the matter with you? <laughs> but then you read another one and it's like, oh, okay, I got it. That makes sense. And, and sometimes that happens with the King James. You right. read it and you go, I don't really understand what he's saying there. Well, yeah, and I'd, I'd like to say something on this point. Now, a lot of people may disagree with me, but I'm an... I'm an English teacher, so shut it. Um, <laughs> here's a here's a big deal for me. Um, using archaic language as an English teacher, I know one thing. I know mm-hmm. that that the language is constantly, constantly changing, changing. It's morphing. Um, the kids today are learning a different language than the kids of even fifty to a hundred years ago. Yeah, it's a different language, and there are over five hundred words literally 500 words in the King James Version of the Bible that are archaic. And when I say archaic, I mean you will not find them in a dictionary. You won't find them in any circulation of use in the English language as we know it today, in modern English usage. And the reason I bring that up is not to say that we shouldn't use that translation because of that. Um, But I'm also a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. And one of the most frustrating things for kids is when... (laughs) They get baptized, and then they're given a Bible, and it's a King James Bible, and they start trying to read their Bibles, and they're reading archaic language that they can't find the meaning of, and they struggle and struggle and struggle, and it causes them to set it down mm-hmm. and to stop reading it. And one of my arguments is we we do need modern translations, and the reason we need modern <coughs> translations, just like they needed the King James modern translation in 1611, right. was because language changes. Mm-hmm. So we need to update it, and it's okay to do that. God God is not going to get as, lost as, as long as you are are like uh, respectful of the source. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I really like the NET yeah. is because those the translators made their notes public. Right. There are over 100,000 notes. If you get like the full-blown NET Bible, there's all their notes. There's more notes in there than there is text. Right. And so like you can you can read this and say oh, that's different than what I've read it before. Well, look at the footnote and let's see why the translator said that. And they'll say, "Hey, we found five manuscripts that mentioned this this and that and we chose this one because of this textual criticism." Right. And they will explain it. Yeah. And which I think is really smart as as a reader who's wanting to know, okay, what did the original, what did the original Greek say? What did the original Hebrew say? And why why are you uh, changing it? Right. Well, maybe they're not changing it. Maybe it was never meant. Maybe it shouldn't have ever been translated the way it was to begin with. Exactly. Um, so you know, it, it is. I, I will you know out, offer a counter um, thought to yes. what you're saying is that. Um, from a from a devout student standpoint, so let's take it from the milky needs to the meaty needs. Yes. Okay. So as a devout scholar of the Bible, I don't always want the easiest to read right. as much as I want the most accurate. the most detailed. Yeah. Right. So um, 
uh, uh, the archaic language actually, the English language has changed, yes, but it's changed in a certain direction. It's got dumber, right? The English language has been dumbed down. Well, I would say more concise instead of dumbed down. Well, it, well, I guess here's, here's what I'm getting at is larger words have become smaller. Yes. Uh, fewer. Right. There's less words. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with is, technology and the way that the way that we're. But this is also the natural direction in writing. The natural everything. direction of entropy. Yes, everything goes from a, a place of order to chaos. It it, it becomes you, you know I mean when ebonics starts making its way into the dictionary, it's not because it's smarter. It's you know it's because it's slang or because it's what and and people understand it. Okay, common people understand it. Right, and I don't want to I don't want to debate you, but here's here's my thought on that. I don't think that the law of entropy applies with English because actually, if you look at the roots and the origins of English, it was from a very very archaic language to begin <laughs> with, right? And it grew right. into a very very um, uh, substantial. Language where, and here's the deal with English you had all these different inputs mm-hmm. into English. You had all these different, uh, you had the Anglo Saxons, uh, you had the Germanic tribes, right? You had Latin in right. there. English English is a mutt, okay, of, yeah. of, of words. But so, as is almost every language. Yes, it is. But the reality is, I think it's it's becoming more streamlined because of technology. Mm. Honestly, BTW, BTW. I, th- I think it, <laughs> I think it's I think it's changing and morphing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, not saying there's anything wrong with that. Not but. saying there's anything wrong with it as much as I'm saying that it has gotten it has it has it went from being precise to being not so precise. And here's a great example. Right. Tenses, verb usage, oh, yeah. all of this stuff that used to be like it used to take two or three words to say something. Uh, perfect t- uh, t- uh, tense and stuff like that has been like condensed. Yeah. And even like, uh, okay, the word you, the simple word you now means it could be plural, it can be singular, yeah. either one. Well, that wasn't so. Ye, ye and you. Yes. Yeah. So back, so. Or it, if you're texting y'all. Right. So if you're reading, <laughs> <laughs> if you're reading a text in the King James and you see ye, you know he's talking to a group of people. Right. Whereas if you see you, you know he's referring to an individual. Yeah. So like uh, this comes into play in places like where Moses is talking to God and God says, I'm angry with ye. Okay. That means all of them. That basically saying I'm angry with the children of Israel. Right. It, but you look at that in a modern translation and it I'm says, angry I'm angry with you. with you. Okay. Does that mean he's angry with Moses or is he angry with the people? That's a good point. And so, uh, so there is value. In, in having an ancient English translation because it gives you another example to that is the, thou, all those things have specific meanings. Yeah. Whereas we've now condensed it all um, into, you know, okay, another example. See, the, but the if King, I were the translator, I would translate all of you instead of you. <laughs> but this, anyways. So the, uh, <laughs> another great example is the word love. Oh yeah. Okay, so the King James translation, a lot of times you'll see the word charity. Yeah. And a lot of times we look at that with First Corinthians thirteen is a great example. The word charity is used all throughout. It's the a word agape, agape. Right. Um, but 
and we even go, you know, charity is not a good translation. But if you think about what charity is, charity is a willing, giving love. Yeah, it's actually it's a not, better translation. It's not an emotion. Right. And so that was actually a pretty wise choice. Yeah, eros and phileo. Well, more eros. Yeah. Now, the King James isn't consistent in that. It does translate the word agape as love many times. Like Peter. Yeah. But uh, Peter and Jesus. But I and and but I think that it was a good idea to use right. different words for different words. Right. Uh, but anyway. All right. Let's shoot the rabbit. Sorry, my bad. I okay. just wanted to mention that. Okay. A uh, couple of quick. Uh, one quick point I want to make before we get out here is that there are uh, there's a couple of things about the translators of 1611 that's important to note. Uh, first off, the King James translation, as we mentioned, was like the ninth English translation. Yeah. And it's piggybacking very heavily off of the other eight. Yeah. Like, like it's not, it wasn't created in a vacuum. In fact, the translators, there's 47 scholars that were chosen to do this by the king. Yeah. And he gave them very specific. Was Shakespeare one of them? <laughs> no. Okay. So he's very specific. <laughs> you in, ever hear that theory? Uh, I don't guess I that did. Shakespeare wrote the King James Bible. <laughs> Google that as okay, a conspiracy I'll, theory. I'll anyway, up. sorry. Go ahead. My bad. Okay, so there is a. Um, you can actually go find this. You can find King James's instructions to the translators. Right. Um, most of them are pr- are pretty benign, but 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 listen. Okay, the, the number one first first uh, instruction to the translators: the ordinary Bible read in the church, commonly called the Bishop's Bible, is to be followed. And as little altered as the original will permit. Okay, so what's behind this? What's he saying? The the bishop's Bible was the English translation preceding the King James. Right, it was before. Now, there was the Great Bible prior to it. There was the Matthews Bible prior to it. There was the Tyndale Bible prior to it. So it it is like on the backs of all these other translations. In fact, a lot of Tyndale's original wording that he translated traveled all the way through these translations and are even in the King James. Right. Okay, so what is he saying? First off, this is a political statement. Yeah. The Bishop's Bible was the official Bible of the Catholic Church in 1611. Right. It was the one that was chained to the... No, no, that's the Great Bible. Oh, Great Bible. I'm sorry. But it was before the uh, this was the the Bishop's Bible was the first one the people could have. Right. Okay. So the, you had the Great Bible was chained to the to the to podium, and, and then the and then the Bishop's so Bible. so that they authorized the Bishop's Bible so that the people could have one. But the the reformers didn't like it. Right. Right. And so. So, because it was made by the Catholic Church, sure, and so they didn't want that; they wanted their own. And of course, then you had the the Geneva, right, doing their own Bible, and he's that's just the reformers. Like the Catholics wouldn't touch that translation with a ten foot pole, exactly. And so, what did King James want to do? He wanted to meet in the middle. Yes, he Compromise. wanted he wanted a Bible that could be the people's Bible, right. both Catholic, Reformed. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, and he also had some fish to fry with the Catholic Church. Yep. He was in the middle of a pro- of a process of trying to get uh, a divorce. So he cut her head off. <laughs> and, the, or no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing two stories. That was that was Henry that, that had that issue. But anyway, he needed, King James needed the approval of the Catholics as well as everybody else. Right. And so that's why his instructions to these translators was, was basically revise the Bishop's Bible. Yeah. That's basically what this is saying. And believe it or not, the King James Version is more of a revision than it is a translation. Right. 
because of this this order. Um, That's true. Uh, number two, the names of the prophets and the holy writers with the other names in the text are to be retained as near as may be according as they are vulgarly used. Um, so I am, I am not sure exactly how to explain what he was getting at there, uh, but he is, bear in mind, whatever the reasoning here is, is, he's telling them what to do. He is telling them what words to use whenever they do their translation. Right. Uh, he says the old ecclesiastical words to be, are to be kept as the word church should not be translated congregation. Yep. That's a big red That's flag That's a huge right there. one. Yeah. Okay, and then the reason behind this is because the word church had a governmental authority uh, sound to it, like right. because they everyone knew who the church was, was the Roman Catholic, the church. Roman Catholic Church, yeah. And so it was important that they retain those passages that right. use the word church, like for example Matthew eighteen, where he says, "If you can't agree, take it before uh, two or three witnesses. If they if they still can't agree, then take it before the, the church. church. Yep. In other words, take it in the, from a if you're an ancient reader in the middle of this Roman uh, hierarchy." And you and you read Rome, Matthew eighteen. You you know what that means. It means take it to the bishops and take it to the take it to the authorities. Right. Whereas Jesus was trying to say, take it to the take it to a congregation of people. Yep. And let it be heard amongst everybody. So the body of believers. Right. Yeah. And and so anyway, just a, the, the 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 the. There's others too here, and that are. And I'd like to point out also with this. We get the word whenever a King James only person will talk, they'll say, "Well, it's the only authorized version," but they they don't understand what that word "authorized" originally meant. And the, the, so, the King James version, the sixteen eleven, originally was called the authorized version, right? That's correct. And but the reason it was called the authorized version is because King James authorized it for their use uh, instead of the Matthew's Bible. That's that's all it meant. It was the official Bible of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. That's what the authorized version means. It didn't mean that God came down and said, correct, this correct. is authorized. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a, uh, here's a couple more. Uh, his, fourth, his fourth commandment to them was, when any word has diverse signif- significations, that to be kept which has been most commonly used by the most eminent fathers being agreeable to the proprietary of the place and the analogy of the faith. Okay, so it's a little wordy, but what he's basically saying here is if you have a a word that doesn't mean exactly what the prior translations meant, go with the prior ones. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because we don't want to... Because we're not going to rock the boat. Sturdy hornet's nest. Yes, okay. Uh, The division of the chapters uh, should not be altered or as little as may be. Um, He says, no marginal notes at all should be affixed, but only for the explanation of the Hebrew or Greek words, which cannot, without some uh, circumlocation, so briefly and fitly be expressed in the text. Okay, so basically what he's saying here is, these marginal notes were problematic in these ancient translations. Oh, yeah. Because, okay... I've got a facsimile of the Geneva translation, a 1599 Geneva translation, and it's full of margin notes that just slam the Catholic Church. Right. Right. Um, 
William Tyndale's translation had marginal notes in it that were very reformed in their thinking and right and this sort of so <clears throat> they taught theology in the margins correct like they did a little bit of explanation of the text in the margin and yeah. he's saying don't do that because Just don't put your more. opinion in here. Just so what did they do? They went to the margins of some of these previous ones and they put it in the actual text. Right. <laughs> but there's no actual. If you pull up a 1611 facsimile, you won't see marginal notes. Right. Um, in it because of this. Um, so anyway, it, it, there's several others here, but those were the big ones to to remember that. Okay, this is not a. Um, non-biased translation. Right. This is a biased translation. Very much so. And and so there was political reasons uh, for it. So let me ask you this then, uh, jumping back to the whole argument against other translations, um, a King James only personal argument that, our argument, will argue uh, that the other um, original manuscripts use the Sinaiticus, the Vaticanus, are corrupted texts because they came out of Alexandria or yes. they came out of Egypt, right? So what's the what's the answer to that? I don't know if there's a good answer to it, except for I will say this: in my personal opinion, um, I don't like those those manuscripts. Okay, from my studies of it, I don't like them um, because I think that there's I think that the arguments for them is are overly simplified. Basically, it boils down to this. They're older. They're older, so they're more accurate. So they're more accurate. And I don't think that's a good statement. Older doesn't always equate to ac- accurate. Sometimes volume can re- equate to accurate. So if you have, sure. like, the Texas Receptus, ha- or often referred to the, as the majority text, and the reason why it's called that is because there are 5,000-some-odd manuscripts that right. agree almost letter for word letter. For word, yeah. However, Codex Sinaiticus, for example, is a good example uh, well, first off, Codex Vaticanus was ostracized because it didn't match any of these others. Right. And it was locked away in, a, in, in, the, a in, the, in the Vatican. Yeah. Right. Okay, so it wasn't until the, the late 1800s that uh, a guy by the name of Tischendorf traveled to Egypt uh, looking for uh, manuscripts, and he found this codex uh, in a rubbish pile. It was in a pile heap, to yep. be burned. Um, and... It took a lot of, of politicking for him to get it out of there. The monks didn't want to let it go, even though they had it in their refuse. Um, it was just a big thing. Right. And he actually did some underhanded kind of dirty stuff to get it out of there. But So anyway, he ends up with this manuscript called that has been now called Codex Sinaiticus. Right, the Sinai. And it's seen as one of the, the greatest discoveries, biblical discoveries of all time, uh, because it dates back to the 300s. Right. Um, it's the earliest, which is uh, yes, it's one of the earliest manuscripts we have now, and uh, and so. He, but here's the problem with it. It, it: it it has multiple scribes. You can tell by the handwriting. There are a, a lot of corrections, line outs, scratch outs, you know, stuff like this. Uh, those are all things that scribes were saw as no nos. Right. Like if you mess up, you start over. Right. Um, scribes were very precise because you know, they're handling quote unquote the word of God. Right. And so you don't like, oh man, I goofed that up, scratch it out, whatever. And only one guy works on a manuscript. Right. You don't pass Have it around. Multiple manuscripts. And this priority. this fails all those criteria. Sure. So there may be a good reason why it was in the trash. So it wasn't an official manuscript, it seems like, from the 300s. Right. And if you if, if we look at the 300s, this was in um, the Alexandrian area of, of Egypt. 
Who was in that yeah, area in the 300s? In the heyday, the Gnostics. Were the Gnostic, that was the Gnostic thing. areas. Mm-hmm. So this could be a very much a Gnostic uh, alteration of the scriptures in order to, to try and push. I'm just guessing at this. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm not a huge fan of it. I've never been a huge fan of the West Cotton Hort and what their whole uh, agenda was because they did have kind of a weird agenda. Well, they were, um, yeah. But, but here's the thing. They Those were very liberal in their theology. Right. And there are other sources now, though, that actually agree with some of those manuscripts. So it gives it a little more weight. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know the answer, but I'm glad we have all of them. Right. Because now we can kind of pull together and see, I mean, uh, people that don't, that want to take some of these texts out, they're, uh, it's not, I say take them out, not include them. Uh, aren't doing so because they disagree with the text or there's some nefarious reasoning. They're honestly trying to keep the text as as original Pure as they could as they possibly can get it. Um, so, I mean, we just have to take that in into the context. I mean, I've got a book at home. It's just a crazy book, um, and, and it is it is conspiracy theory out the wazoo. It full on believes that the NASB and the NIV and especially those two, but others as well are. Uh, occultic, like there is a cult behind them. The New American then, Standard Translation, yes, yes, which is the most conservative word-for-word <laughs> translation we have, by the way. Yeah, wow. but it, this guy, it's it's painstaking how detail he went into. I mean, I can understand the the Niv, mm-hmm. but I can't understand the Nasby. That doesn't make sense. You know, and the ESV and the Nasby for me go hand in hand. Those two are my go-to. Here's for a lot of here's them. what I would like to see happen. I would like to see a modern translation using Textus Receptus. I just think that would be really cool. So go ahead. And and <laughs> get to it, man. <laughs> well, we, maybe we can get Riley to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, if you're listening, we have a commission. It pays in donuts. <laughs> Translate the Texas Receptus, please. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I really don't have a whole lot more. And, li- and again, I don't want anybody to take this wrong, that we aren't trying to oh, slam no. the King James. I love the King James. I'm still using the King James on a regular basis. Right. Um, and and I, I mean, I, I think it is, is, it is as good as translation as any. Amen. Um, but let's not, let's not take things that are extra biblical. Because uh, if we really stop and think about it, this doctrine that the King James is the only translation is completely outside of Scripture. Right. Like, there's no scriptural basis for you to do that Mm-mm. at all. It's just a, it's an opinion that you think that that's somehow inspired. And there's nothing in Scripture that could give us the indication that God was going to inspire a translation. And if it is the inspired translation of God, just quick question, what about everybody else in the world who doesn't speak English? Right. <laughs> They're just out of luck. So. Wow. Anyways, so that's uh, yeah. I think that's a that's a pretty good. Now, if you have any any questions, comments about that, dude, send us something because we'd love to hear some yeah. feedback and 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 some and just a, a few quick uh, questions for you. If if you are like firmly in this King James only camp, um, we I just want to ask you questions like, okay, is or was the Latin Vulgate quote unquote the Word of God, and why or why not? You know, this is prior to the King James. Was the Septuagint the Word of God? Why right. or why not? Is the Geneva Bible, the Great Bible, the Matthews Bible, the Tyndale Bible, all these are based on 
the Textus Receptus and right. the and uh, the Masoretic Hebrew text. Right. So are, were those the Word of God? If so, they're still available. So you can't really say King James only. If I mean, you can still go get a uh, a Tyndale Bible. Right. So I, I know. <laughs> So, but anyway, uh, just, and there's other uh, questions like which edition of the King James is the one that's uncorrupted? Because, you know, there's been a few revisions of it. And they've been small revisions, but they're still revisions. Uh, Who actually publishes the uncorrupt King James version? Is it Cambridge, Oxford, uh, Kirk Bride, Schofield, AMG, Zondervan, uh, a Bible society of some sort? And the reason why we ask is because they all slightly a little bit, or differ slightly a little bit. Uh, so there are differences in them. Sure. Um, so, but anyway, uh, just wanted to throw some of that out there for us. Uh, you, you got anything else on? Nothing else on that. On this whole thing? You want to hit some news? Yeah, let's do some news. All right. And now, the news. Well, uh, I'm really interested in this. Uh, 2020 is going to do a special that's going to look at the uh, American hostage captured by ISIS for her Christian faith who died in 2013. They um, they ended up killing her, or she ended up dying dying in captivity. I'm not sure if they did. Um, But they're talking to her parents and all of that. I think that's actually tonight. Uh, You can go check that out. Um, But... It'll be a really interesting story. Um, Kayla Mueller is her name. Uh, she was captured for 18 months by ISIS. Uh, she was over um, in Syria doing missionary work. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever she was captured, uh, Mueller said to have been tortured, abused, forced into slave labor, and raped, but she continued to be hopeful and stood for Christian faith. Um, a really good story. Um from one of the other hostages who got away, um, Daniel Otteson, uh told this story. He said, one of the Beatles, which was the name of, that the hostages gave for the guards, the Beatles, <laughs> uh, started to say, oh, this is Kayla, and she has been held by, all by herself, and she is much stronger than you guys. Uh, and she's much smarter. She's converted to Islam. And then she says, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was also a chance for her to escape, but she was sick. Uh, and not only that, but uh, the, her and several other young hostages who were held as sex slaves, mm-hmm. they they were going to escape, but she told them to go ahead without her. And this was a reasonly, um, reasoning. She said, no, because I'm an American. If I escape with you, they will do anything, everything to find us. It's better for you to escape alone, and I'll stay here. So it's a great wow. picture of this girl's Christian yeah, faith yeah. in in the midst of real persecution mm-hmm. that led to her ultimate death. Um, I I can't wait to uh, to see this. So go check it out in 2020. Um, it's going to be on the American uh, hostage held captive. Awesome. So, that's yeah. a, that's a good lead in also to the yes, movie we're going to see. I wanted see you to talk about that for Tuesday. just a second. Yeah, uh, the movie uh, The Insanity of God. It's a yes. one-time event, it's a fathom event thing. You can find out about it through uh, Cinemark. Um, uh, TheInsanityOfGodMovie.com, I believe, is where you can go to find, to see the trailer and right. all that sort of stuff. But it's about how... It's, it's a documentary based on a book by the same name, by a guy by the name of Nick Ripkin, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great book. One of these books that I think every Christian should read. I mean, it's one of those 
required readings <laughs> because what it does is it's so it's it's so in your face about what it means to actually suffer for Christ, right? And it's an examination of him. Um, uh, Nick was. Uh, a missionary in Somalia and saw absolutely no progress over like 12 years and was mad at God about it and just dealing with how can God allow this to even happen where right. you've got a place where his word cannot grow. But then he found out that it, that that it's not that simple. And he, he traveled the entire world interviewing people who are persecuted and wanting to know how they could possibly do it. Right. And it rocked his world. It made him see what the church really is. Instead of seeing how do Christians overcome their problems and obstacles, it became what is the church? And uh, it's just a great uh, look at what what God had in mind for us as a church. Yeah. And one of the one of the big things that comes out of there, he says, don't ever for a minute think that there is a suffering church and a free church. There's there is church. the church. Amen. So anyway, uh, the movie is on Tuesday, right? Uh, August thirtieth. So this this next Tuesday. What time us. is that at? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Yeah. And um, uh, we're doing it in Sherman, Texas. So if we have any local listeners who hear this before then, come on down to Sherman. Yeah, hook up with us. We That's right. <laughs> Watch a movie with a theonauts. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. All right, um, Orlando. You know the tragic shooting with the the gay nightclub there. Yes. Um, Orlando hospitals won't be billing any of the the victims uh, from that shooting. Uh, in a continued aftermath of the June shooting, the Pulse nightclub, Orlando Health, and Florida Hospital have announced that they won't bill survivors for the massacre for out of pocket medical expenses. According to the uh, Orlando Sentinel, the hospital will write off at least $5.5 million in hospital care wow. for these people. So that's awesome. Good job, mm. Orlando Good Hospitals. Job. That's wonderful. But, you know, I wonder how big of a struggle it is for hospitals. I don't know if you know anything about the medical market. Did you hear about the EpiPen? The upcharge on the EpiPen? Mm-mm. Do you know what an EpiPen is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My daughter's got a severe peanut allergy, and we dealt with that well, you many mi- times. You <laughs> might want to uh, tell your daughter to stock up, because mm. they're they're jumping up 300% or something wow. like that and charging for the EpiPen. The uh, manufacturers have figured out that they, they're the niche. Yeah. And so they're making money hand over fist. Yeah. The American medical... Profiteering society is That's just kind of crazy, ridiculous. Anyway, so good job, Orlando hospitals. Um, let's see. Colin Kaepernick is in the news last night in his uh, in his preseason game. He chose to stay seated during the national anthem in protest of um, in protest for the Black Lives Matter. Mm. Um, people uh and when interviewed he said i can't stand up for a flag and a and an anthem for a country that um is is killing its its citizens um and so i'm not going to do that basically and so there's been a lot of like backlash and a lot of you know just interesting uh conversation ESPN news all morning I've been mm-hmm. I was driving to Sherman and back and usually I'm, I'm listening to about the Rangers or the, you know the, right and it, it's all about and it was really interesting the the uh, anchors were getting in heated debates about white people versus black people and how the police treat them and all this stuff mm-hmm. and one guy one guy's like 
you know, I, I come across hundreds of uh, articles about a white man who runs away from police with a gun and they don't shoot him. They subdue him somehow. But, you know, this black guy, he runs away from the police with a gun and they shoot him. And the other guy's like, well, if you run away from the police with a gun, you deserve to get shot. <laughs> just a thought you know what i mean mm-hmm. but so there's a lot of question about that you know a lot of interesting and i think it'd be interesting for us to do a theonauts on race yeah that'd and, be interesting. and how we connect and how we engage well, part, of, uh, part of what people aren't really considering too is the fact that when it, when you're in a, a war type of scenario you know or a fight or flight type of scenario like police officers get put into it's how how much thought you think actually goes through their mind about the race of the person that's involved mm. as much as it is that guy's got a gun. Right. And I better stop him before he gets. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about, you have a, a millisecond to yeah. respond right. and it's not going to be like, Oh, that guy's white. I think I won't fire. No. If the guy's got a gun more than likely he's going to get drawn on, right. You know, either way. Well, yeah, and you know, and that's not to say that there isn't racism going on. No, no, no. And no. I imagine it. You know, I've watched it here in Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen it. So, uh, in in some of the other southern states too that I've lived in, and uh, it's a sad thing. But you know, how do you engage? Well, yeah, I mean, as we've even seen that? it as close as my grandson, who's black. Yeah. So not crazy. And there's are there's been statements made or. And and things that aren't even meant to be mean, right? But, you know, it's like derogatory. Or... Sure. Well, yeah. And people don't realize what they're saying until yeah. they say it. I love the story. My Vietnamese brother came to our church one time, and an older gentleman asked him, "Where are you from?" And Ton goes, "Kansas." And he's like, <laughs> "No, where are you really from?" And he's like, "Wichita." It's like, "No, where are you originally from?" Well, I was born at Wesley Medical Center in Wichita. No, where, what? It's like, I'm <laughs> Vietnamese in, oh, okay. Like, but honestly, it's like, I'm an American citizen. What are you, you know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah. where are you getting at? What's the, so anyways. All right, uh, I got some Pope news. Oh, yeah. Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah, the Pope is here. Uh, <laughs> this is the best title. Papal pizza? Rome's homeless get a special treat from Francis. <laughs> nice. It's awesome. I love it. All right. August 17th, Vatican City. As summer temperatures soar in Rome, a trip to the beach and, pe- beach and pizza dinner may sound like an ideal way to spend an afternoon. And Pope Francis is making it happen for some of the city's homeless residents. Archbishop Comrade Kajowski, who is in <laughs> charge of Papal Charities, told Vatican Insider that a Vatican van takes about 10 people each day to go to swimming and on the Italian coast, 30 kilometers from Rome. About 100 people have participated so far. The archbishop drives a van while passengers sing and listen to the radio. At the beach, each guest is offered a swimsuit and a towel. Afterwards, they enjoy a meal at a local pizzeria, courtesy of Pope Francis. Wow. I love that guy. (laughs) I mean, that's just, that's the way you treat homeless people, like normal people. Mm -hmm. You take them out for pizza and you go swimming with them. (laughs) That's so cool, man. So awesome. So, yeah. Way to go, Pope. It's an a Pope. (laughs) Great. Um, Let's see. And in this date in church history...
You ever heard of Pierre Veret? No. He is probably the most non-known reformer out of the Reformation. But at the time, he was probably more popular than Calvin. The guy was like this amazing preacher. Right. Like just this awesome preacher. And uh, he was he was trained. Originally, he was going to be a lawyer. I mean, his story is just like every everybody else. Mm-hmm. But some of his teachers were Reformationists during that time. And he caught the Reformation bug and converted uh, to uh, to Christianity. And then he began traveling around and preaching and uh, it packed packed churches out like thousands of people um he, he was uh, he was so prominent that the catholics conspired and then tried to stab ooh sorry about, sorry about that that's not no problem the catholics conspired and tried tried to stab him to death he was severely wounded but he survived um he the catholics conspired and poisoned his spinach <laughs> And he survived that, uh, but he suffered stomach problems for the rest of his life. All this stuff. So from he was the, from the poison spinach. From the poison spinach. Yeah. So he was in. Uh, he was in um, Italy, and I'm sorry, not Italy. He was in France, and uh, he was preaching. And uh, the uh, he was he was a part of the Huguenots, you know, the French Calvinists. Um, but anyways, uh, the Catholics took back over the part of France he was speaking in, and he was ordered out of there and almost executed. So on this day in church history was the day the order came down for him to skedaddle. He needed to either get out or he was going to die. So Mm. this guy was just, he was absolutely awesome. Uh, He was a great picture of somebody who just suffered for for the cause of Christ all through his life. He lost his first wife uh, and um, their children by a plague. Then he lost his second wife and two other children in a plague. This guy, I mean, wow. he just, he just, uh, he, he hurt. Um, he, he was a very sympathetic uh, figure. And I guess probably one of the main reasons he's not mentioned along the other reformers like Calvin is because he didn't lean towards the Calvinistic bent. Um, for instance, uh, on transubstantiation, yeah. he took the idea that, that it was actually a symbol, not a physical transubstantiation. Right, right. Um, he was a lot more on um, on free will than a lot of the other mm-hmm. the Calvinist people. And he was huge on love. Like, his goal was to unify the Catholics and the Protestants together in love, uh, but he, he, he believed in by grace through faith. Right. So he was just this awesome guy. Anyways, you can read about him and read cool. his works. But, yeah, his, his name was Pierre... Uh, Levey, no, L I R E T, Leray. Okay. Uh, and you can check him out. It's pretty awesome. So, anyways, that's pretty much all I got cool. by way of the news today. All right. Well, you want to get out of here? Hey, let's ski daddle. All right. Oops, I started to hit the wrong button there. Here's your scriptola. All right, let's do it. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go in all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows, including our friends up in Tennessee, Finding Christ in Cinema. Ooh. 
that didn't work very well. Visit our website at theonotpodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to our listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line. It's 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetheonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment cost, et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. Yes, and unleash Helen Keller. Oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong show. <laughs> Go listen to Finding Christ in Cinema for more <laughs> on that. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At Transmission. The, the Theonites! Theonites. Theonites. Theonites.